Now, is there anybody here this morning who, who knows, who believes by your own experience that God actually is very loving? Yes? Talk to me today, okay? Uh, is there anyone here who, who believes and knows by experience that God is, is powerful, that you've seen God's work in your life? Anyone? Okay, great. Now, I would say the same, but you all know that in our world, that those two truths have created the biggest question that everyone wrestles with, which is this. If God is so loving and if God is so powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? Like, have you ever been asked that question? You've probably asked it yourself, haven't you? Like, you know, why? Why doesn't God intervene? And, uh, and I get that. And it's a massive question, and it actually has a massive answer. And that's what we're going to look at this morning when we dive into our last part, part A of our You, Your Part in God's Story series. And we're going to take a look at the very last and most controversial and most understood, misunderstood book in the whole of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Whoa. And if you don't understand Revelation, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. But um. I've been prepping that all week. Some of you don't understand that, and that is to your benefit, trust me. It really, really is. And so come back in time with me, 1900 years, it's about AD 90. And uh, here we find John, who was one of Jesus' disciples, and he's in exile on the island of Patmos. And the reason that he's in exile is because the Roman emperor Domitian is embarking on this tyrannical anti-Christian persecution campaign. In fact, John is the last surviving uh, disciple of all the other 12. All of the others have been violently killed. And in this moment in AD 90, the church in the Middle East, in Europe, is facing unprecedented, there's that famous word, persecution. Like persecution like it has never experienced. It is hunted, tortured, executed as it becomes the target of this brutal Roman regime. And it literally feels like there is hell on earth. And so understandably, the church, which is just the family of God on the mission of God, that they are asking this question, God, where are you? Where are you? They're asking like, Jesus, like, have we got this wrong? Is Jesus, are you worth holding on to here? Have you given up on us? Should we just recant our faith and choose to follow the crowd, worship the state religion, the Roman religion? All we've got to do is just say Caesar is Lord, just those three words. If we just say Caesar is Lord and never again say Jesus is Lord, all of the persecution will stop. That's all we've got to do. Just declare that Caesar is Lord and ditch Jesus. If God is so loving and powerful, then why is there so much suffering? Has God given up on us? Should we give up on him? I wonder if any of us have asked those questions in our lives. I'm sure many of us have. And so that's the backdrop of the book of Revelation. Because into that scene, as as John is on the Isle of Patmos, he is then given a series of breathtaking and utterly mind-blowing visions that he then writes down and captures in this last book, book number 66 uh, in the New Testament, Revelation. And I would encourage you, I'm going to get through quite a lot of stuff here in the next three and four hours. And so... Just checking you're listening. You might want to note down some stuff because I'm going to be mentioning some scriptures and you want to just read them again later to make sure I'm, I'm, because I'm not going to read all of them. But the very first verse we read in Revelation chapter 1, 
Verse 1 says this, this is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. So that word revelation is right in the opening verse of this chapter, and it's the Greek word apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. Everyone say apocalypsis. Okay, the emphasis is on the lip. Okay, apocalypsis. Do it again. Excellent. There you go. And uh, it's where we get the word apocalypse, uh, which has become synonymous with ideas around the end of the world and how the world's going to end, hence my terrible joke earlier on. But actually, the root word for apocalypsis uh, is unveiling. This word actually means unveiling. So, so the book of Revelation is a book of unveiling. It's God literally pulling back the curtain of the spiritual realm in heaven and revealing to John and therefore the church, let me show you what's going on in the midst of all of this suffering and struggle, both now and what will happen in the future. And the whole purpose of this book is to encourage God's people in AD 90, throughout history and to us today, to simply do this, stick with Jesus. That's it. That's the whole essence of this book. Because as we're about to see, God is not disconnected and disinterested with all the suffering that's going on in the world. God is lovingly, intentionally, sovereignly, powerfully at work, and sacrificially, by the way, leading a creation-restoring rescue mission. That's what God's up to. And in the light of that, there's this hinge verse, Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, that says, in light of everything that we're going to unpack in this story, uh, there's an instruction that says, endure persecution patiently, obey God's commands, maintain your faith in Jesus. Obey his commands, endure the persecution you're going through, hold your faith in Jesus, because this is actually going somewhere. History is going somewhere. Everything feels like it's out of control, but it's not. It's not out of control. And the big message of Revelation is this. It might feel like there is hell on earth. It might feel like you're fighting battles on every single corner. It might feel that God is powerless, but the essence of Revelation tells us this. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. I'm glad that the first three rows were pleased by that. Jesus wins. That's the big picture. That ultimately Jesus wins. You are eternally safe with him, so stick with him. That's it. Jesus wins. You're eternally safe with him, so stick with him. In fact, it's really clear. If you let go of him, you're, let going, you're letting go of the only hope you've got. There is no hope without Jesus. If you let go of him, you're let going of your only hope. Now, You'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to speak for three or four hours, and it's totally impossible to unpack this massive book in just 20 minutes or so. But what I want to do, in the light of our big question about suffering, is see what the unveiling unveils about two promised realities that God says, this is what's really going on, and then two responsibilities we have in the light of those realities. Is everyone ready? Okay, nudge the person next to you say, stay awake now. I know this is revelation, but stay awake. Okay. Okay, here we go. So here's two, two promised realities. Here's the first reality. It may feel like, Revelation makes it clear, it may feel like all hell is breaking loose. But the first promised reality you have to remember is this, that God is on his throne. That God is on his throne. 
that he is ultimately in charge. And from the very first chapter in Revelation, right through to the end of the book, over 40 times in this 22-chapter letter, we are reminded God is on his throne, God is on his throne, God is on his throne. He is ultimately in charge. He is not surprised. He is not powerless. He cannot be defeated. He is on his throne. And in Revelation chapter 4, we get a window into this very throne room moment, worship central, verses 10 and 11. We're told that all of the hosts in heaven, this is what's going on right now, by the way, Right now, all the hosts of heaven are laying their crowns before the throne and they're saying, Worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased. Like all of heaven in this moment. That's why when we, when we worship, whether we worship by ourselves at home or when we gather, we're not just participating in this physical experience here. There is something mystifying and spiritual that we join in with a heavenly celebration because heaven is celebrating. God, you created this world. It exists because of you. You alone can rescue it. It might look like its days are numbered, but you are on your throne and you will ultimately fix everything. That is the promise. And the persecuted church, they really needed to hear this because they, they felt like, no, 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 it feels like Emperor Domitian. He is on the throne. He is overruling. And, and, and God was saying through John, no, 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 um, uh, Emperor Domitian is not really on the throne. He's on a fake throne. That throne is going to be pulverized. Death, suffering, sickness, cancer, that is not on the throne. Those things ultimately don't have power. God is on the throne. Not even Satan's in, in charge. God is in charge. He was in charge yesterday. He's in charge today. He'll be in charge tomorrow. He's not dead. He's alive. He cannot abdicate the throne because he is eternally sovereign Lord, the King of all heavens. He's on the throne. He is on the throne. And so even though we know that life can be hard, life is hard. Let's, this is not twee triumphalism. Life is hard and it's difficult. And actually that's why if you again, you read Revelation, you understand that Revelation gives us the understanding why life is so hard, why there is so much suffering. And that's because there are demonic dark forces that are relentlessly, every moment of the day in history are challenging the authority of God on his throne and seeking to destroy all that God has created. That's people and places. That's, those demonic powers are at work. So the suffering that we see in our physical reality, John makes it clear through this book of Revelation, is simply an overflow of this almighty scrap that is taking place right now in a spiritual reality. Is everyone understanding what I'm saying? So there's this spiritual battle that's fighting all the time. The, the, the forces of God and good versus the forces of Satan and darkness. Those things are going on. They're going on right now. Those things are going on right now, even as you're listening to me. Those forces are saying, don't listen to him. He's talking rubbish. Let me tell you, that is a battle that's going on in your mind right now. Those forces are at work and they're trying to manifest their lies and their deceit into the physical reality so that we cooperate with their lies and believe those lies and then live out those lies and walk away from Jesus. If you want an example of that, go and read later. Revelation 12 is a great example of a heavenly scrap. And we might lose battles from time to time. We do lose battles, don't we? But God is clear in this, but he'll win the war. 
because he's on the throne. Stick with Jesus, you're safe with him. That's why this week, even though we stand with Jamoki in the grief of the loss of her mum, but her mum knew Jesus. And death can laugh as much as it wants, but death has been defeated. And Jamoki's mum is more alive now than she's ever been before. She will never get sick. She will never die again. She will never have cancer. She's got the best bet in a sense because she's with Jesus. She's part of the advance party. And we know that we will be with her forever. Death has lost its sting because ultimately God is on the throne and God is in charge. God is in charge. Which prompts this question, okay, if God is in charge, then why doesn't he do something about it? Why doesn't he do something about it? And Revelation reminds us that actually from this throne room perspective that God has done something about it, he is doing something about it, and he will do something about it. Is everyone with me? Cool. Good. He has done something about it. If you look later at Revelation chapter 4 and 5, we get this window into the heavenly scene and and heaven, which we imagine is a party and celebration. Heaven is weeping. Heaven is weeping, heaven is mourning because they look over a broken creation and a world that's rejected God and separated and and overwhelmed with darkness, death and the satanic and there's no hope. And then in this moment in Revelation 5, Jesus, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb that was slain, steps up into position, the perfect sinless savior steps into sinful world and he comes to save us. And the whole of heaven celebrates. Go and look at it later in Revelation chapter 5. Jesus on the cross takes on the full force of evil and darkness and death and selfishness and sinfulness and cancer. Everything that is wrong and dark and death-like in this world. He takes it on. It seems like he's defeat, it's defeated him. And then three days later, he rises again, puts it under his feet and says, Your days are numbered. He has done something. This is the way it's described in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. For you, Jesus, were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Don't don't miss this word. Jesus was slaughtered for you. He was slaughtered. The, The... Old Testament passage, prophetic passage says, Jesus was so beaten up, so tortured, so executed, you could hardly recognize he was a man. For you, he was slaughtered so that you could be saved. What has God done about suffering? He defeated the powers of evil and sickness and all those things through his death and resurrection. Which, when you say, well, if he's defeated them, then why are they still active? And the best way I can describe it is, uh, how many people here have a mobile phone? You got a mobile phone? How many people just never put their hands up? <laughs> well, you know, if, if you've got, a, let's imagine you've got your mobile phone and every night if you're you know, vigilant, you'll plug your mobile phone in so it charges up overnight. But if someone takes your charger away, you know that eventually your mobile phone will what? It will die, it will run out. And so when Jesus took on those powers at the cross and through the empty tomb, he essentially pulled the power out. And there's, there's, there's no ongoing power for those things. And essentially, that you know that if you unplug the power on your, on your mobile phone, that eventually it's, it's, it's time is limited. Its days are numbered. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. Through his victory on the cross, he was essentially saying to those powers, your days are numbered. You, you can still have a few scraps if you want, but ultimately, you're done. You are done. 
God has done something about suffering, and he is doing something about suffering. Uh, the next verse, verse 10 says, You have caused them, I people, to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. So Revelation reminds us that God is at work to alleviate suffering in the world through people. That we become the answer to his prayers. And actually, that can be all people. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to do good God works in the world. God is at work through hordes of cavers who spend 48 hours rescuing a man in a cave. God is at work through a taxi driver who boldly locks the door to stop a terrorist blowing up a hospital. God is at work through environmentalists who are petitioning global leaders to look after God's planet. God is at work through you and I, as we introduce people to Jesus so that they can know him and be healed and restored by him, God is at work to alleviate the suffering of this world through the people that he always wanted to partner with, who he created as image bearers. And again, this is important. The 80, 90 Christians, they needed to know this. They needed to know that Jesus has ultimately defeated those things, but actually God is at work to alleviate the suffering through you. You are not powerless. God can still work through you to be channels of good news, even in the midst of your great persecution. God has done something, is doing something, and then the great promise of revelation in the future is that he will do something. The big unveiling in Revelation is that God promises that Jesus is going to come back and he's just going to make everything right. Here's how it's described in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death, no more mourning, crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This is the promised reality that, that God was unveiling to these Christians in AD 19 to us today, whatever we're struggling with, there is a promise. Jesus Christ is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to rid the world of sinfulness and suffering and sickness once and for all. He's going to restore new creation. And if in this life you have chosen to be part of his family, you've accepted his invitation to adoption to be his son and daughter, then you can know with assurance that you will be with him in that new New creation. But if you have not made that decision, if you have chosen in this life, life without God, if you've chosen to be your own Lord and Savior, then God is fair. He always gives people what they want. And so if you want life with God in eternity, that's what you get. And if you don't want life with God in eternity, then that's what you get. And life without God feels like hell to me. Whatever hell looks like, and there are many different Metaphors and interpretations for that, and that is not the point of my message today, but choose wisely, friends. And so, God ultimately will fix everything. If God is love and this so powerful, what's he doing? And, and we're told in this book, Revelation, he is on the throne. And throws, I want to say, whatever you're going through at the moment, God cares. From the throne, he may be weeping for you. He may be feeling for you. He may be heartbroken for you. Jesus says he's praying for you in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit is, is, is 
connecting your heart with the heart of the Father. God knows all these things, but he's on the throne. He sees it, he knows it, and he promises he has been at work for you. He is at work for you, and he will be at work for you to restore. This is good news, I believe. Amen? So in the light of those realities, God is on the throne, and he has, is, and will do something about suffering. What's our responsibility to that? And so I want to turn um, in my final hour to... Um, yeah, to, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, to probably one of the most misunderstood chapters in the whole book of Revelation, which is Revelation chapter 13. And, uh, and in Revelation 12 and 13, we're introduced to this uh, figure called the dragon, which is generally understood to be Satan. And then the dragon in uh, chapter 13 raises up these beasts who are uh, kind of satanic controlling leadership in the world. Sometimes we refer to them as the Antichrist and the false prophet. And, and throughout the last 2,000 years of history, including to this day, uh, Christians all the time have been kind of looking to point the finger. Okay, I wonder who the Antichrist is. Is it that person who's coming and who's the false uh, prophet? But again, we, we, when we read the scripture, we must remember that it was initially written to the Christians in AD 90. And, and so when they were reading this, they weren't looking for some far-off figure who was the Antichrist, oppressing them and, and killing them. They had their Antichrist. It was Domitian. The Emperor Domitian was the Antichrist for them. That's what they were living with because they could not eat. They could not get out. They were being terribly, terribly persecuted. So we always have to remember what this meant for them. And so into that, we're told, into this scene... We're told, these are the famous verses, verses 16 to 18, chapter uh, 13, that these anti-Christian leaders forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they'd had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man, which is 666. We're not going to get into the 666 now. But there's been so much speculation about the mark of the beast, hasn't there? Like, are, are we all going to have to have 666 tattooed on our forehead? Are we going to have a microchip in our arm? I know many people thought, is the COVID-19 uh, vaccine, is that the mark of the beast? And again, I want to respectfully say that utterly and completely misses the point of what's going on here. Actually, that's, that's, that's really not what it's about at all. And, and if any of those things eventually become right, do, do you think that God will be abundantly clear that's what's going on? We don't have to play guessing games with any of this stuff. But actually, that's not what it's about. Now, now stay with me in this. Because if you're a first century believer in AD 19, particularly if you're a Jew, and you hear the words forehead and right arm, you know exactly what this means. It's symbolism. It's symbolic language. And so come with me to the fifth book in the Bible, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 to 9, we have the most famous Old Testament prayer, the Jewish Shema. And the Jewish Shema is still repeated in the morning and in the evening by every Orthodox Jew. Jesus would have prayed this prayer. And it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. These commands I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Question. 
God's speaking to literally a million Jews at this point. Was God saying that those people had to literally write his name on their forehead? No, he wasn't saying that. Although some religious leaders literally did this. They created these little boxes called phylacteries and they wrapped them around their head. They looked like kind of Hebrew Daleks. And, uh, but that's not what God asked. That wasn't the point. The point was that when the rising generation looked at the adult population, was it utterly obvious, everyone can see your forehead, that you belong to God? The forehead is a symbol of allegiance and ownership. Is your allegiance and ownership obviously God? The way that you look, uh, the way you behave, the way that you speak, the places that you go, the things that you do, the things that you don't do, the way your priorities are organized, is it thoroughly obvious that you belong to God? The forehead symbolizes allegiance and ownership. That's why in Revelation 22, right at the end of the story, it says that they, I ask, we will see his face and his name will be where? On our foreheads. Are we going to, again, we're going to have eternally the name Jesus on our foreheads? No, that's its symbolic language. It means allegiance and ownership. Do you belong to God in the midst of all this persecution? Or have you actually pledged allegiance to the anti-Christian powers that are at work? By the way, there's no middle ground. You can't say neither. You're either in one camp or the other. That's the great deception. And so our first responsibility now, just like it was in AD 90, is to be willing to stand up and say, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. And I love Jesus. And I think Jesus is amazing. I belong to him. I choose him. He is my Lord and Savior. I will not say money is Lord. I will not say my job is Lord. My family is Lord. My house is Lord. My popularity is Lord. My fame is Lord. My, my possessions are Lord. Partying is Lord. Pleasure is Lord. I will simply declare Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of my life. I don't pledge allegiance to a flag. I pledge allegiance to the Christ. The son of the living God, I belong to him. I pledge allegiance to him. That's what our responsibility is. Thank you for your smattering of applause. And so that's what foreheads are about, allegiance. Right hands are about authority. Every Jew knew that right hands were about authority. Romans knew right hands were about authority as well. Exodus 15, 16, your right hand Lord was majestic in power. Your right hand Lord shattered the enemy. Psalm 20 verse 6, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his... And then in Matthew 27, verse 29, the Roman soldiers are beating Jesus up. They put a crown of thorns. They set it on his head and they put a staff. Where do they put the staff? In his right hand, because right hand is representative of rulership and authority. Colossians 3, verse 1, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the where? Right hand. Right hand is about strength, authority, and power. And so the question is what Revelation is 13 is saying is like, who's your ownership? Who's your leadership? Do you belong to God? And where does your authority come from? Your right hand. Like, does your authority, your rulership, is who you you're obeying Jesus or those anti-Christian powers who has authority over you in terms of how you live your life. Some of you will know I'm nearly finished. Some of you, I don't mean some of you will know I'm nearly finished. That was like two sentences. I'm nearly finished. Some of you will know 
that Zio, we partner with a church planting organization in India called Mission India, who are planting churches. And I, I had the privilege of going out there a few years uh, ago with Paul. And uh, that's a dangerous place to be a Christian. And uh, just recently, Mission India put out this story of a guy called Bahadur. And Bahadur has pledged allegiance and authority to Jesus. And, and because of that, he's been thrown in prison five times, severely beaten twice, forced to move ten times, and was being evicted again because he had some new Christians in his apartment. Yet in the midst of all that, he's helped train 21 new church plants, uh, pastors. He's planted himself 45 churches, and he's planning to reach another 40 or 50 in the next month. When asked, how are you doing all this in the face of such persecution, he simply said this, I am with God and God is with me. I am with God and God is with me. All hell may be breaking loose, but I know God is on his throne. He has done something about this. Jesus died for me, was slaughtered for me, rose from the dead for me. He is doing something about this because even though I'm suffering, I'm joining Jesus to alleviate the suffering in this world. And he will do something about human suffering because I know that one day he's going to return. And even if I die, I'll be raised with him and I will rule with him forever and ever in that wonderful new creation and because of those things that he's on the throne and he is has and will do things I pledge allegiance to him I say I belong to you Jesus I will behave like you want me to behave even if it costs me my life and most of us in the room it won't cost us our life we just be a bit a little bit embarrassed what will our friends think of us? It might cost our money. It, 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 it might cost our reputation. Well, that would be good because you know what they said about Jesus? He was a man of no reputation. He gave his reputation if, if up. If Jesus, the Lord of all creation, was willing to come and become a nobody and to be brutally ex executed for, for us, then how much more should we be willing to love and sacrifice for him? Like what price is too high for us to pay? The message of this book is simply this. Why, why, why is there so much suffering in the midst of such a loving and suffering God? And, and, and God unveils the curtain through this book of Revelation. So much more that I could say. And, and he says, listen, Jesus wins. He will overcome. You are eternally safe with him. Stick with him because he's the only hope that you've got. He's the only hope that you've got. And so choose him. I belong to him. And I will behave. I will take the authority that he gives me. And, and I think, you know, I think the problem is, folks, like when we hear these stories in India and Pakistan and, and North Korea and these, these Christians who are living these radical lives, they're living them radically because they have no choice. And the problem is, we all have a choice. The reason the church in the UK, including Zio, doesn't make a big impact in the world, in your workplaces, my street, or those places, is because we look thoroughly the same. Most of the time, we look no different. We gossip, we badmouth people, we think the worst rather than think the best, we drink too much. The whole list of things, we just look like the world. We, we, it's, it's like... We say we belong to Jesus, but it's like one of those removable transfers. We just put it on when we need to. It's not going to cut it, friends. And, 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 I, and I'm saying that, I'm challenged about this myself. 
Like we, we want the blessings of God. We want the good stuff of God. And yet we think we can just do whatever we want. And then we just fall on his grace and mercy. And I'm thankful for the grace and mercy of God. Because even though I screw up and get things wrong and don't live the kind of life I should sometimes, I'm thankful for his grace. But I want to be better. I, I, I want everyone I know to know that I'm with Team Jesus. I'm prepared to tell people, I don't understand everything. I don't know why this is going on in my life. I don't know why that happened or this happened. But I ultimately believe God's going to work everything out. So I'm going to hold on to him because he's all I've got. And so I'm talking to two groups of people. Guys, you want to come back? We're going to, we're going to close in prayer in just a moment. I'm talking to two groups of people. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet committed to make Jesus Lord. That means boss, leader of your life. That you abdicate the throne of your life and you, you put Jesus there. Because of all he's done, is and will do for you. Like today would be a good day to do that. Today would be a great day to do that. Best decision you will ever make. To surrender your life to Jesus. I've still got questions, Jesus. But if you did all that, if you were, what, you were slaughtered to save me? Then... I'm with you. And probably most of the rest of us, if you're anything like me, or in a sense almost spiritually or physically, should fall on our knees and say, God, we've been playing games. There is a war going on. It's going on in the spiritual realm and it's breaking out all the time. And God created you to be a soldier. Not just a civilian, a soldier to join him. Stand by him, hold on to him. And so, should we stand together? Thank you, Father. So I'm going to just pray two prayers, and then we're going to sing this song. Thank you, Father. I'm going to just ask you, I'm going to, that first prayer, if you today want to give your life to Jesus. And don't, don't do it, by the way, just because you think, well, I, just, I, don't, I don't want to risk missing out on Jesus in eternal life. Jesus is good news for you this side. He's good news for you now. Like, don't, don't think, oh, well, I'll wait until I'm 70 and then I'll choose Jesus. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Choose Jesus today. Best decision you can make. And so I, I'm looking around. I'm not even asking everyone to bow their heads. If you want to bow your head, you can do that. Because again, if we, if we are not prepared to be bold and brave in this room, even with a few people watching, like, it's going to be really hard to be bold and brave out there. And we love you. Like, we're for you. We're all in this together. You're in good company. We're all a bit broken and bust up. But together with Jesus, we can overcome. And so today, if you want to say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be in my life. I want you to be my Lord, my boss. Or if you know you need to recommit to that, I'm going to ask you a moment just to put up your hand so I can see it really clearly. And then I'm just going to... I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a prayer. I know that's a big, bold, brave thing to do, but I want you to begin your walk with Jesus in boldness and bravery. And if you are a follower of Jesus here, you should be praying like crazy that those voices in the head of that person will be stilled and they'll have the courage to respond. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait. If there's no one here, if you all think, no, I'm good. I hope you are good. But if you're someone here today and you know that today is your day, that heaven is inviting you, choose Jesus. Choose him. He's the only hope you've got. I know you've still got questions. I do too. We're going to figure it out together. Is there anyone here?
want to raise their hand and say, great, thank you, I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Brilliant, thank you. I see your hand there at the back there. Is there anyone else? There's two people here. Is there anyone else? Be bold. Thank you, Father. Lord Jesus, we pray for those uh, two ladies who've put their hand up right now. And we thank you that you are a God who forgives. And God, you give us a brand new start and a brand new life. You fill us with your spirit and you help us to be more like you, living the life you've created us to live. And we pray that over these two ladies right now, that they will know that they are your daughters, that they are utterly secure. And no matter what hell might throw at them in this life, hell's days are numbered. Heaven is breaking in, and we declare that over them in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed and said, amen. amen. And now for the rest of us, another prayer. If you, if you today, you feel, and just only do it, don't do it because anyone else is doing it, but you just know, okay, I've been stirred by this. I need to make a response to this. Again, I'm just going to ask you to, to just raise your hand as just a way of saying, okay, Jesus, I've been following you, but I've been following you perhaps half-heartedly, and, and I know that I need to pledge allegiance. I need to be serious, more serious than I have been. That's great. All over the room. Only again, don't do it because other people are doing it. Do it because you believe it. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come. And Father, thank you that you come not to condemn us. You convict us, which simply means that you come alongside us and say, come on, we can do better. You can be better with me. And I pray for all of those of us as our hands are raised, Holy Spirit, that you would come and that we would feel the commission from heaven, that we would know that what has gone is done and forgiven and this is a new day. And I pray that, I declare that over everyone in this place, this is a new day for you. What has been done is done, but this is a new day. There is a new power, there is a new anointing, there is a new fire, there is a new ignition from heaven for you and that you'll never look back. This is a new day for you. And we pray that there will be a passion for Jesus that will radiate in you, that, that you'll, you'll long to be with him, you'll long to, to be like him. And, and when opportunity arises, that you can't help but wisely and graciously speak about him when those opportunities come. I pray and declare that over you and over me and over us, Lord, I pray, in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 and amen.